This is the Far Away Farm Boy podcast, episode number 16. My guest today is a friend of mine, a past president of the Alberta Holstein Association, and a nutritionist at Trow Nutrition in Lethbridge, Alberta. In this episode, we talk feed prices, feed efficiency, and I reluctantly agree to share my story and a few of my perspectives on the dairy industry. Please welcome back Bob Reck. Spotify. Close that pack of beer. 3,240 cans. Yep. Oh, okay, so it's just a, they've just put a nice box on it, but it's a pallet. 46.99. Yeah, 4,699. <laughs> 4,700 bucks. <laughs> uh, we are rolling, so. <laughs> oh, so we can crack our beer. No, you can. Doesn't <laughs> Bob, thanks for coming back on the pod- podcast. Welcome. You bet. <laughs> cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> um, if you ha- if you don't know Bob, go back to was it episode three? I think it was about three that yeah. that we were on there. So yeah, yeah, no, it's been good. I've been a fan since uh, we started doing this. So and you're a groupie <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I'm a I'm a groupie. So. I was giving it some thought about uh, when you asked me to come back and, and do this with you. Um, so, hesitation? And, yeah, no, no, there was no hesitation. I just wondered what we were going to talk about. So, But so. we never lack things to talk about. We're always talking about <laughs> what to improve next on the farm or whatever, right? Yep. So, But one thing that uh, I thought would be interesting, because I have never got to hear the story, is uh, how Windy Creek got started and where Dustin got started and maybe a little bit of your history. And I think all of the people that uh, listen to this might be interested in that. So, I should probably have it written down at some point. That way, I can just rattle off a speech. Because I've had a few times where, like, for a different position or something, you have to give a background. And you're like, right. well, you're humming yeah. and hawing through it all. And right. Well, I think you've done that with everybody else that you've interviewed already, too, though. When you look about how you've done the podcasts and and question people and. And yeah. maybe they know what's coming a little bit, but... So, yeah, I guess, yeah. But where did you grow up? Oh, uh, I was born in Chilliwack mm-hmm. in 1992. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the year before I graduated high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what else? I was born on a farm, my parents' farm. Um, moved out here when I was 18 and got in on the new entrant program a few years later and then started Windy Creek Dairy. So family farm, like a dairy farm that you grew up on too? Or? Uh, I think my parents were doing pigs at the time. Okay. They had, um, yeah, a small to medium-sized farrow to finish, I guess you'd call that. Okay. Farm uh, that uh, my dad's friend helped him start. And uh, from there, they just kind of, they worked really hard to build it up. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they have dairy now. They have dairy now. They had, uh, they went from pigs to chickens. We had, uh, I forget how, what size of farmer, broiler breeders. Mm-hmm. We had those for a couple of years. And then my dad's name came up on a new entrant program in BC. Okay. And uh, there, it was a little bit different system. You put your name on when you're 18, and then 
guess uh, that would have been like 20 years later or something, his name finally came up on, okay. on the list, right? Okay, yeah. And so <laughs> he had never really given it much thought, I don't think, until his name was getting closer on the list. Mm-hmm. And he, oh, this could actually be a reality. Yeah. So, and then uh, we moved to a different place in the uh, Fraser Valley um, in BC there, and uh, he started farming, was it 2007? Okay. And, uh, yeah, he just grew from there, and um, there's a few other things going on. Uh, so why did you come to Alberta? Just uh, I just wanted to farm. Like, in hindsight, I guess I could have moved, like, half an hour away to Merritt or something. Like, there's, there's decent... Mm-hmm. farms or, or in the interior of bc okay you know like i didn't have to move 12 hours away to find decent farmland but i just figured man like you know farms were land was going for 80 grand an acre yeah you know i was like well that's it's not really looking bright here right right, right. in hindsight you know i i could have make made it work somehow you know um and it's not like i can afford land out here you know just as easily like for sure you could argue that that land still cash flows better than this land, maybe, mm-hmm. or at least it's well, an, some dry a land. Well, this, this dry land for sure, right? Some of it, yeah. yeah, yeah. But even at yeah, eighty or hundred grand an acre, you're not really buying it for the grass silage that right. you cut off of it, right? <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. But. So Alberta came to Alberta. Work on a dairy farm right away. Yeah, or? moved here, and then um, at the time I was working for a big dairy in BC. Mm-hmm. And they kind of offered me a job, and I said, well, I want to work on this feedlot. <laughs> you know, I, it was a really nice dairy. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking, like, yeah. no, I'm going to go work on this buffalo feedlot. So I did that. I came out here and, and worked on a feedlot with my cousin. Um, and that was quite the experience, dealing with buffalo okay. on a feedlot. Yeah. Um, they don't see very well, put it that way. <laughs> so they'll just run through They'll run stuff. through things, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... I met my my girlfriend, I guess, then, mm-hmm. um, and her grandparents had a farm in Saskatchewan out by Yorkton that they kind of wanted to hand off, so I jumped on that, and I moved to Saskatchewan with my girlfriend for three months. Okay. And that didn't really work out. Um, they just wanted a white slave. Okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't really get along, and my wife missed her parents really badly so we moved back to southern alberta here and then okay uh then i went to go work for bill van rootsler mm-hmm. and that was really cool okay uh, bigger dairy in the area yeah and uh learned a lot there and then um yeah i kind of had the conversation with my dad he said there's this new entrant program in alberta that alberta milk is putting on mm-hmm. like do you what do you want to do with your life so at that point i was well i didn't really know I was just like, well, I've never really wanted to do anything other than dairy. Right. Really. Like, I, I wanted to be a pilot or something in high school. But, yeah. you know, I just always enjoyed the work. I always loved working with cows. And, you know, I didn't, it wasn't real clear, though, that I, you know, this was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I right. didn't know anything about right. dairy, really, as far as managing <laughs> and stuff. You know, I, I worked at Bill's. I milked. And, yep. But uh, I didn't really know anything. But, so, he's, well, it's, you know, that's that's good enough. So <laughs> I got a, had it to my parents. They kind of, you know, took the first steps and invested in me and, and, and still are. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they helped me start out here. We, we looked around for a rented farm and then we kind of just figured, well, 
my grandparents on my dad's side actually lived here most of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had 18 acres here at the time, and we put up a pole shed barn. Yeah, that story. That story. I tell people that story all the time, Dustin. Like, I I think the the pride of your mix match roof that blew off the one time, and and all of the pieces and parts, and uh, but I think building a barn from scratch that you've done, um, that's that's quite a the story. Like everything that you've done here, you've done yourself, and you got to take a little bit of pride in that. I'm sure. Yeah, sure. I, I'm still conflicted every time, you know, we have to renovate something. We're always renovating. Like, this was the right move, right? Like, <laughs> you know, was yeah. dumping money into this barn. You know, I, I just, sometimes I wonder if it would have worked out better if we would have rented a place. Okay. You know, and just had a full setup. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, now I'm building an office in the barn. You know, like a farm that you rent, you know it's going to be whatever you know, it's pretty pricey to rent still, right. but you know it's going to be that set amount of money every month, and you can put that in your budget. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you know, you know, manure pump went. Okay, but now I got a gonna, dish. There's going to be upkeep on a lot of those places too, right? That's because, true. Yeah. Yeah. I I think yeah. of I look at a lot of the dairies that I work with. Uh, guys that have maybe been in their barn for twenty years are now looking at, hey, my barn's wearing out. What do I need to do? Should I be putting in robots? Yeah. Should I be changing a parlor do i need new stalls so there's still yeah. a lot of maintenance and upkeep even so a rental place is not you're probably not going to get a new barn when you rent either so yeah uh, so yeah i guess i i would do a lot of things differently if i uh um if i knew the uh, economics of of starting out and stuff like that i i mean we've talked about this before but like it seems like it'd be better just to chip in you know with somebody get yeah. a few people together and then you you know you keep your nine to five job mm-hmm. and then i don't know how exactly that would work but just yeah with the new entry program i yeah i'm not totally sure that it uh you know other guys make it work really well and that's great i'm not quite sure if it works or if it's just me uh you know but it's just uh so you've been on in the new entry program now for six years or seven years? Seven years. Yeah. Seven years. Okay. Yeah, and the way it uh, kind of works is it, it it'll wean you off basically, uh, and the goal is to make you a successful farmer, part of the industry. Right. You know. Do you do you see that success? Do you feel that there is an opportunity slowly. there? You know, there's parts of it that really work well. Um, changes that we've made over the years. Um, you know, and I I gotta watch it because, I I think of the process that. Um, producers went through to get the new entrant program sure it looks good on behalf of the industry that they have something that helps new farmers but everyone voted at a certain time to you know either we could get an increase you know they all sat down either we can get an increase Mm -hmm. or we can set up this program to a lot quota to these you know new farmers right for sure so it's like every time we complain it's just like wow you guys you know they're probably (laughs) grinding their teeth you know we could have had that increase yeah um but I yeah, so I'm super thankful for for that. But on the other hand, it's just like God, this is <laughs> this is uh, something that really is pretty skinny, right? Yeah, I think if I lived in a tent, you know, I could probably make it work <laughs> a little better. Yeah. Uh, so there's that, and but so a bigger tent than you live in today is that what you're saying? Or? This is a smaller <laughs> tent. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah who knows um uh, yeah. at this point it's it gets a little bit um tricky yeah. to kind of tell how it works but yeah 
So, well, yeah, I'm with your family, and now that you have kids, because you have, uh, what, you have three kids now yourself, too, right? Yeah. So yeah. now you're trying to support a family, and you guys have bought some land. and, and Yeah, yeah, so financially, my parents have really helped out here a lot. Okay. And they're they're still kind of helping helping me out, so. Okay. Um, that's good. What's the biggest success, do you think, since you've started six, seven years ago here? Which... Uh, like, well, personally, I've, I've learned how to manage a herd, I think. Okay. How well, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. I've, I've learned that. But also on the financial end of things, um, the increases that we get. So when, when Canadians drink more milk, we get, um, an increased market. Right. And that in turn helps me to expand, right? Right. Um, so that side of supply management is really helped me out yeah so and that was one of the questions when I, that i thought about too like you're you're thinking about all of the stuff that you have to learn um i've i've been fortunate enough to work with you i remember meeting your dad and your grandpa for right. that first visit and talking about hey we're gonna get yeah. my son going on this and and how do we get feed and what kind of cows are we going to be looking at so how do you how do you select a team that you're going to work with whether that's nutrition or ai right. you've done it you've interviewed a lot of these guys on your podcasts and yeah how do you how do you select those kind of people or yeah i know i always like i'm still thankful for that today for the the service it's mostly around service right and i Mm -hmm. I was talking to a mechanic a while back on the podcast and and that was just highlighted again that like um the quality of your product is, Mm -hmm. is something too but it's mostly that communication that you have with your with your person, whatever it may be, right? Right. A nutritionist or, or mechanic or whatever it is. Right. And like, you know, I, I, to compare like your product versus another feed companies, I'm not sure of the differences. I'm sure there's, you know, quality differences or whatever. Right. But most of why, um, you know, you're here is because there's lots of communication and there's lots of, um, like you're teaching me a lot. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm gaining from that, right? Right. The the cost of feed might be the same as your competitor, but I feel like I'm really, really getting one <laughs> over on you, Bob, because you teach me a lot about all this yeah. different stuff. And so that's pretty handy. Well, I'm glad that you value that because yeah, yeah. I, I learned just as much from you. Like I said, I think to, to watch what you've done and, and right. how you've grown some of the successes and, and things. And, and yeah, it's, I enjoy working with people right. that, that appreciate that and, sure. and appreciate yeah. um, all of the knowledge or research that you can bring and try different things. So right. to start out from a computer feeder with hay and go to a TMR and see the big difference that that made for you, I'm thinking that's a success. That was such a challenge, man, the computer feeders. Mm-hmm. Right? So we... When we first started out, the big draw was keep our feed cost low. Right. Right. So, and then we thought, well, we don't need a mixer wagon. We don't need a mixer <laughs> wagon tractor if we feed straight hay in in the feed bunk mm-hmm. and then have computer feeders. Right. So all the cows would have collars and then, yeah, that, so I think we're, our cost of feeding was $6 and 30 cents, which mm-hmm. we were just, oh, well, that's great. Right. Yeah. At the yeah. time it was great. Yeah. But then... Yeah, to compare <laughs> afterwards with a TMR, it was eight thirty or something like that. Yep. It was two bucks more. Another, another two but bucks came more. Like eight liters of milk. Yeah, eight liters of milk <laughs> yeah. and five points of butterfat. Yeah, and it was just paid for yeah. that yeah. mixer wagon tractor and the mixer wagon right away, right? 
but that's a and that's and that's a good point. Like I'm sitting here as a feed guy, but those are, are numbers that we look at a lot. And yeah. and I think as an industry, we're starting to say, well, I got so many kg or uh, so many percent butterfat in my bulk tank, yeah. and we should be looking at kgs of butterfat per cow, right? So which yeah. of the liters and the percent of fat, and and then your return over feed. So yeah, my feed costs are more, but I'm making even more money um, on my end product too. So yeah. Yeah, and well, back then the the pricing was a bit different, but for sure, what was it actually? It, for it was priced more on liters than it was. It was based, yeah, on butterfat. yeah. The butterfat came well. Actually, it's been in here now for quite a while. So right, yeah. the butterfat pricing, so it's yeah. a lot easier to figure out for sure now. With yeah, now everyone yeah. does like yeah. kgs per head per day. Right? Yeah. they don't talk about liters and butterfat. It's just like not everybody. Extra number that you have to. <laughs> not everybody, and I, that's oh. what I. Yeah, if there's anything that we can get out there to help people learn and talk, and and it it might just be yeah who you deal with and how you deal with that. So our farm is so dialed. <laughs> in we, we talk about protein that's, that's what we're talking about there you go yeah so what is your average protein on your herds um it, it it's very seasonal even... um do, i we do pay attention to it because it's a, a number that i write down um, protein is really a hard number to feed for anyway uh, but if we're looking at, at protein numbers um, nobody's going to be under three percent and at this yeah. time of year you're going to see them in between three and three point five percent so um that's kind of what you're regular protein yeah. numbers are going to be based but on. But it doesn't pay to, like, jack it up somehow? Um, there's still money in protein. You still get paid a few more dollars for protein uh, right. as you increase your liters. If you're, and, but that percentage is not going to change the same like a butterfat percentage, yeah. right? So that economic return, you're not going to see as quickly. Um, and it's really hard to feed for more protein. There's some amino acids and things that you can look at to try to... to right have more protein but yeah it's it's a little tougher number to do so yeah yeah but when we had those computer feeders then it was yeah that was well the other reason was because we didn't have any of our homegrown forages at exactly the time. And yep. as soon as we got that then it was worth it to feed our own barley silage yep and then uh yeah, Definitely. just just what barley silage did for you. You could still buy in some hay. You're still buying in a little bit of hay, yeah. but utilizing your yeah, you've got some land now, and you can utilize that. Yeah. You have a place of manure. It wasn't quite the right. Yeah, that was a wasn't thing. quite the buy you were looking for because the quarter section was supposed to give you half enough for half barley silage and half grain with straw and all of that other stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, where you live hasn't quite made that a realistic <laughs> goal yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we were talking about, because last year we got so much feed that this year we're going to cash crop it. So okay. that's been yeah. a new thing that yeah. we're kind of looking into. But Well, if they keep giving you a quota, you might have to milk more cows, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have to, yeah. So. But um, what was, oh, yeah, it was interesting to see that it, it's actually the same um ingredients in your ration we went from a from a hay and a textured ration mm-hmm. in a computer feeder yeah. to a tmr but really the same percentage forage and the same uh pounds of concentrate yeah per head per day the the thing that you have to remember when you're balancing a ration like that is is you're still 50 percent of what you're going to feed you or, or more 50 to 60 percent is going to be forage that you either raise or buy like that's right. what you're going to be so high quality it was nice buying forage like even when you were buying hay yeah. you could buy the best hay you weren't stuck yeah. with what you got yeah um barley silage like you said you've been really good at knowing when to cut it 
Uh, maybe the tonnage hasn't been there because of of the drier years and things like that. Right. But the quality, you've had phenomenal quality every time you've put up a barley crop too. So that has never got away on you, that part of it. So economically, you by putting up good forages, can sa- that's where you're going to save a lot of money on your feed costs. Right. So the better forages anybody can put up, the cheaper their feed cost should be at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so. it's really interesting. But And I think there's guys that do, like with a tie stall barn, there's guys that do like hay and grain, right? They, they scoop it out. If there was any tie stall barns left in uh, Alberta anymore, there's <laughs> I think there's down to two or three in the whole province anymore. So, right. Yeah. Lots in Quebec, right? There'll be some more in Quebec and Ontario, but even a lot of those are going to robotics now too, right? So, um, yeah, and and as with the the new, if you look at uh, the farm actions and things like that, uh, cow comfort, uh, they're saying it's not going to be allowed to have uh, cows tied up. Is that right? Yeah, they're talking about all of that. So, on your pro actions and, yeah. yeah. It just cows are supposed to be out and be able to have free movement and yeah. So they will not allow new tie stall barns to be built. I don't believe Sorry? with the pro action. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But so. one of the other things was, um, like, when you're first starting out, even those challenges that we had with the computer feeders and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I learned so much. Like I wasn't, <laughs> you know, I'm not the best manager, especially when I started. Cows dying left, right, and center, right. So that wasn't, that's not good, well, right? it was the feed guy's fault, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was, it managed to blame it on someone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and again, I, I think that looks at, you have to remember, so you, when you came in here, you went and bought a bunch of cows and they weren't, they weren't the top of the line cows or anything like that. You weren't looking at the genetic side of things. Now, I think you've paid a lot more attention to that. You're starting to breed for some genetics, some longevity. Right. So even if you go and try to buy better cows from people, they're not probably showing you their best cows either. So that could be part of the issue mm-hmm. um, when you're first starting out for sure. So, mm-hmm. and, and growing pains, absolutely. How do you treat your first milk fever or how do you uh, look after a cow that's... Uh, gut ketosis or something along those lines, yeah. right? So. Yeah, I look back on a lot of things that I was doing maybe, you know, s- six years ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, why did I do it that way, you know? <laughs> and I just didn't know. Yeah. I, and then some of the things you clue in that, you know, maybe people were trying to teach you back then. And you're like, oh, yeah, my vet did tell me to do that six years ago, and I didn't really yeah. clue in. Yeah. No, because it it's interesting. Just a couple months ago, we just had a meeting with the, myself and the vet and you and talking about yeah. reproduction and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, importance of a team. And that's why that was... Uh, it is very important to have a good team. Yeah. There's someone I can call for anything. Like, And I learned that early on because if you try to kind of take things on all by yourself, I don't know who would actually do that, but mm-hmm. it, you get really stressed out. Yeah. Like I have someone for everything. If I'm, you know going through any sort of challenge, I got someone I can call, yeah. basically, right? I think some of the other good things that you're doing, so not just the team of professionals that you pay yeah. to come onto your yard, yeah. um, now the, the team that you have, you've been doing these podcasts, you're talking to a bunch of farmers. So you have now you have that farmer network that you can talk to. Yeah. What, and well, realistically, I've always been talking to farmers. <laughs> this is sure. just a sham yeah. to... To get you guys to come over now, and now you're all scared. <laughs> I'm not scared. I came back. <laughs> I just turned the tables on you this yeah. time. So, <laughs> But, yeah, and then, well, now you just got on Alberta Milk. Um, so yeah. there you have yeah. another outlet. And, uh, yeah. 
yeah, another way to have communication, learn more about your industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of like being involved in whatever, so I kind of uh, put my name, name up for that and worked so out. How do you find the time to do that, running a dairy farm with three young kids and... Uh... Yeah, I, yeah, maybe it's not such a wise thing. Maybe I should be putting more time into managing the dairy and I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I like to stay busy too. So. Right, and and I think busy people do a good job, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. So what's um, so what's the plan going forward for you? Uh, keep growing. Um. Yeah, keep farming. I, I like what I do, so. Okay. I I like the work, oddly mm-hmm. enough. Whatever it is, and. So I, I have a succession wrote down on a piece of paper here. If I look at it, so you're growing a little bit of a dairy farm, but your dad still has a dairy farm. What, what's yeah. your thoughts about ever going back and taking that over, or do you want to just grow it here? Or what yeah, are you thinking? We've, we've talked about it. He, yeah, he's maybe looking at, um, you know, not retiring, but we're looking at different stuff that we could do to help make this place uh, more feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're just kind of talking about it right now. Okay. But, uh, I would definitely stay here. You, that, so and, that's and your preference. Grow this okay. Place. Yeah. Or somewhere in Southern Alberta, that's for sure. Okay. Maybe, you know, eventually look for someplace with a bigger land base. We're kind of landlocked here with the, um, okay. Com- competition, uh, yeah. colonies and, and whatnot. So if your dad decided to sell out, maybe you would invest more in what you're doing that way to help you. Yeah grow a little bit okay yeah i think so like we're, we're still kind of talking about it so mm-hmm. it, it'd be tough to say well you've got to have plans and dreams and hopes and all of yeah. that otherwise for so. now it's just keep going and yeah and uh try to be a, as efficient as possible yeah um but so, i mean if it all falls apart i i would be fine with working with somebody too working for somebody okay um, it's not, I try to not make the dairy who I am really. It's just what I do. Okay. Cause it, it can fall apart really quickly. Like, you, yeah, you know, for we're, sure. we're all one diagnosis away from, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, from being in a different position in our lives. So, yeah. um, that it, it, it helps. I, yeah, I'm a fairly uh, spiritual guy too. So I try to stay grounded that way too. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, and. There's no better way to raise a family. <laughs> on a farm. On a farm. Yeah, that's what, that's what my wife always says, so I better keep farming just for her. <laughs> yeah, happy yeah. wife, happy life, all yeah. of that good stuff, you yeah. betcha. <laughs> Is your wife out of school yet? Uh, next week. Oh, so she's, she's probably doing she, a Zoom school now, or what? She's doing a Zoom school. She's writing exams today, so, okay. so she was happy that I wasn't around to bug her today. So. <laughs> and then you'll probably retire. She'll get us get such a high-paying job that it won't be worth it. <laughs> Uh, no, I still like doing what I'm doing, probably similar to you. So, yeah. um, I was in the office again today and somebody said, you smell like a cow. And I said, yeah, I've been out on the farm and <laughs> that's what I still like doing. So yeah, it's, it, and, and working with people like yourself, um, just at a, another customer before I came here and, and just, we were talking about the next generation coming in and, and that growth and teaching and learning and yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So. So how do you how do you get the next generation involved when they're not quota holders? So when they don't have skin in the game but they still want to be involved in the industry. 
So when it comes to a family farm, uh, yeah. I think it's really important that dad understands that his boys have that interest yeah. and starts and starts opening up the books and getting them involved. Uh, so when the nutritionist comes over, so this and I'll speak from my point of view anyway. So when the nutritionist comes over there to talk about the dairy ration and the forage samples, the boys need to be sitting at the table too. Or, or the boy, the whoever's going to be there, they need to be part of that. They need to understand the cost. They need to be understanding the lingo. There, you guys have a lot of salespeople drive in in the yard all the time, and they have a lot of knowledge, and they are always trying to sell you things. But why do you? Everything's expensive. It, it, like it's your margin at the end of the day. So, yeah. Um, if you don't have, if you have a kid that wants to be into the dairy. Um, don't discourage that. I, I think what you've done, gone work somewhere else. Uh, that's what my dad did for me too. He said, go work for other people and, and learn, right. learn that way too. But I don't know if you always have to push your kid away to go learn somewhere else, as long as you're willing to open up the books and, and make them yeah. part of what's happening all the time too. Yeah. I just, more and more, it's seeming like, uh, you know, you have to be able to work hard, but you also have to be able <laughs> to know your numbers. And like, and so maybe Business. I, I was just thinking that that approach where you would, um, you know, get your kids involved by letting them talk about things with different, uh, you, you know, service providers is good. Mm -hmm. But like, if they don't know how to um, be involved with the management, they're never going to learn those skills. Yeah. And, and like I'm just thinking with myself, I was never involved in any of those places that I worked at. I was never involved in the management. Yep. So I never really took that, that step. Yeah. And when it was just kind of a, a shock to me, you know, how, how much I learned, you know, managing yeah. versus just, you know, milking cows. Well, it's a, at, the, the, at the end of the day, like um, when I'm dealing with the, the next generation, so the, these farmers' kids that are coming up and they're asking me, like, where should I go to school? What college should I go to? Right. And what should I take? Yeah. I, I tell them, number one thing is business. You got to go in and do business. Yeah. Got to do accounting. Got to do management. People management. Um, yeah. These dairy, your dairy operations are million dollar businesses now, and you're you're usually having multiple multiple employees, right? So you have to learn how to manage people. You have to understand the, what the numbers mean, because yeah. yeah, if you you can spend a lot of money, but <laughs> you got to remember how much you're getting back into, and there's got to be something left for you at the end of the day. Make your equity equity work for you. You gotta you're gonna have to be in debt. Like nobody's going in and buying a dairy like straight outright. So you're going to be right. in debt and how you manage that debt, how you pay that back, learning those things. So, yeah. Yeah. Business, business, business. Um, yeah. I've said that before too, like the other businesses that move the same amount of money that your average dairy farm moves, they have <laughs> boards of people dedicated exactly. to like the whole management structure and, yeah. you know, people in accounting and all this stuff. And it's just like me, you know. Well, you know? Well, <laughs> even if you go back to your dad though, so did your dad go to business school? No, but he, yeah. what did he do? Yeah, Think about he it. Kind of figured it out, I guess, eventually, right? But they had an opportunity. But, but I, yeah. I would argue that that age was different. You could just for sure in that twenty years ago, you could work sixteen-hour days mm -hmm. and you were the most efficient. Yeah. Now you have to do that and be a financial wizard. Yeah. To piece things together. Oh yeah. Farm. But I agree. Like uh, lots of kids, you know, go to ag school and. 
Well, they want to go learn how to milk a cow, which they've been doing their whole life. Anybody can milk a cow. (laughs) I think we can all learn how to milk. But, yeah, you go to ag school and they learn how to teach how to milk a cow, breed a cow. Sure, uh, which are good things. Those are absolutely good things to learn a different way than what you were taught at home. I understand that. But you already know a lot of those basics. Yeah. And so the business side of things. um, and Especially as farms get bigger and more. Yeah. Uh, it's complicated. It's, yeah, it's not the easiest thing. Like that's what I'm finding. Even this next generation with computers and numbers and like the mm-hmm. math and and we all we all have cell phones nowadays. So the math skills maybe not, aren't the same as what oh. they were when if you go back <laughs> twenty years ago. I was on the phone with my dad the other day and he said, "What's twenty five times five? I was like, "Hold on, I can't get my calculator working," <laughs> and I had re- like five minutes. So I had this stupid calculator in my office didn't work. Right? Oh man, I don't. Oh yeah, twenty five times five. You know, it was bad. Uh, yeah, I always so. commend him because like he he grew up in a in an age where there wasn't phones, right? And to right. to transition to where hey, we had calculators on our watch well, when yeah. I was in school once when I was probably about grade probably twelve. Illegal, right? You had to take it off during the math test. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What do they do nowadays? I guess no phones in class. Probably. I guess so. I don't know. I'm not in class anymore. Well, my wife's doing it online. It's yeah. well, that's about it. So that's what I see. Oh, well, yeah. And you think with Excel and spreadsheets and everything. Which is something uh, I'm still uh, struggling with. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's classes for that. There's lots of classes for it. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what role does your wife play in uh, the dairy? Uh, she's in the house. She's busy in the house. Well, she does the books too. She does the she books. Does okay. Payroll, stuff that like sounds that. normal. Yeah. So yeah, if I had to say yeah. that. And yeah, I would say too. Like mo- most wives, uh, I've heard a lot like feed calves or something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But she just yeah. Well, no with time, three kids. So. <laughs> yeah, it's busy. <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of work to do there. So yeah. Yeah. No, she's a really good mom. So. But she and she loves the she loves being out. Like I've seen your family out around the animals, and they love being. Yeah, they love touring. They love touring. Now wait till they have to clean a calf pen for you, yeah. right? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, it's good for my marriage that there's no calf pens that need to be cleaned yeah. ever. <laughs> so, what do you think of the current dairy industry then in Alberta? So you're on Alberta milk. You've been here for seven years now. Um, what do you think of the current industry and how we're going and, and where we're going to be in the next five or ten years? Yeah, right now it's it's good. Um, uh, with with COVID, it was it was it seemed like it was going to be challenging, um, and it it wasn't quite ideal for us. I don't think any business came through it unscathed, any industry, but. Um, it's been good. Yeah. Um, as far as the future, we definitely need to get going on processing here in Alberta because <laughs> if we can't process more volume in right. Alberta, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It just seems like um, it's a little bit of a bottleneck for the West. Okay. I mean, BC has lots of processing and and whatnot, but. With transportation, well, and, and well, it's such yeah, a perishable product, though. Like, but transportation, we can get milk in a lot of places in a bakery too, right? So at a cost, yeah. At a, at a, there's a cost to it, but yeah, what's the cost to put up a processing center too, right? So yeah, um, we find the same thing in the feed industry. Like, I think you see a lot of consolidation in the feed industry. Sorry? Less and less feed mills. There used to be a feed mill in every small little town, That's true. and now we're seeing a lot of consolidation because it's more efficient to run a bigger operation and truck it. 
than it is really? to yeah because you're going to be running that equipment all of the time you're you're bringing in bigger loads you're keeping more inventories things like that it's it's just better more efficient to run bigger operations huh. longer during the day than it is to just do smaller amounts so yeah yeah makes sense yeah so huh what's going on with barley why is barley 270 275 oh, yeah. uh 275 cash price oh, yesterday bob you're killing me <laughs> bob's killing you <laughs> that's how much we're paying for it we're selling it to oh, you for way more than that I'm don't sure. worry yeah. about that <laughs> yeah. so um yeah i actually i i had a little uh, commentary from from last week but it was uh, something to do with China, always China, right? It's always, yes. it's always China, <laughs> and uh, and them having tariffs on Australian barley, so now they're buying our barley. Um, oh, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd have to read it to to be. But it was two seventy before these tariffs came. Oh, and and I've heard uh, I've heard guys uh, even talking three hundred dollar barley by springtime. Just because of those tariffs, just too? just because yeah. And the other thing is with transportation too. You can't. Uh, can't get it anywhere, all of the containers and all of that. Transportation is becoming a, a big thing. So, yeah. Huh. That was the corn market. And that was the wheat market. And that was proteins. So, yeah. But it's based on the price of proteins, isn't it? Ba- based on, yeah. If you look, corn corn's actually not so, a bad bad buy right now. So is, is that based off, like, corn in the Midwest? Like- yeah, corn in the Midwest and all of that. That's our markets. So corn, corn, barley price, all of that. We, we live in southern Alberta with all the feedlots. That's why we talk barley as much as we do. I think in the rest of the feed world, they talk corn price. And then sure. when it comes to protein and soybean meal, we talk a lot of canola meal in southern Alberta. Again, that's what we have a lot of here. But so. those change, like if that's the, the main factor is soybean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. corn and soybeans, yeah. right? They follow each other all of the time pretty much. So, But yeah, but like if there's more barley, it's not going to affect corn really. It doesn't it's affect corn. and corn. soybeans that Exactly. You, then you might get the more of a spread there, right? Because corn, there's more corn in the world than there is barley, right? Yeah. So you're going to see the corn price fluctuate, but it'll follow that. Because that's another energy source or starch source that uh, you can see. So corn is still a better energy. So depending, I guess, on the quality of corn too. We have some pretty darn good barley in southern Alberta this year. And I thought uh, tonnage was phenomenal. But it, that's just in one small area. So Why is corn a better energy? What do you mean by that? Uh, just, again, more, more corn per acre. You get more energy, plus more energy out of a corn uh, plant than you will out of a oh, barley plant. Oh, I see, plant. not yeah, out the of the, quality this, of the... No. Okay. So, yeah. What, you guys import corn from the Midwest and... Uh, no, we, we'll, we'll use a lot of... Uh, Manitoba Canada corn, yeah, Canadian corn. We'll bring in some from the U.S. corn, too. So, uh, again, any products that we bring in, you just have quality standards. You want the best quality. It wouldn't be any different with wheat or barley. Everything that we use, we would test right. um, when we bring it into the industry, for sure. What so. else do you import, like mineral? And, uh, oh, yeah. Because yeah. like uh, a couple years ago, there's vitamin E was in short demand. That, and and all like of that a, comes from whether that's going to be out of Germany or China or places like that. Right. Uh, that's where all of your vitamins are going to, copper sulfates, things like that. Right. So you're, we're worried about Europe or China for bringing in other other products. Right. So, yeah. And palm fat from Malaysia. Palm fat's a silly thing right now too. And and the biggest thing there is, 
the outlook is good on on the crop for next year, um, the palm fat crop. But <laughs> you guys I, keep I, keep an eye on that, eh? <laughs> but <laughs> again, but again, a lot of they're using a lot more palm oils in cooking and things like that now because they're in short supply of other oil sources. Right. So now they're using more palm oils for cooking in, in again over in China. We're talking about China, but the, huh. the biggest hold up right now on palm fats is the delivery so bringing it from malaysia all of the containers are bought up by amazon and walmart really yeah so amazon and walmart are using all of those containers now to transport products across the ocean and it's really hard to find containers and then when they get into the ports the ports are so backed up with everything that's happened in this covid year too so yeah so it's just a snowball effect so yeah so i've had some Palm fats are going, the price on them is a little bit scary right now because, again, we were giving more quotas, everybody wants them. And then to get them here takes a little bit longer. So uh, they're in high demand, short supply. Yeah. Um, I think as we get more into springtime again, you're going to see the demand go down for palm fats, and then we're actually going to have a lot. So the price will probably soften coming into springtime on palm fats. Because, I mean, other than, uh, like the bulk of farmers concentrate mm-hmm. what's the main thing that influences their their cost of production or on the feed side of things is it palm fat or is it any other ingredient i i think that overall you... all of your ingredients because everybody's going to balance their rations differently based on availability of products right uh, and other byproducts so um your energy sources, your fats, whether that's going to be, you're going to be looking at tallows or palm fats or or, or those kind of products are in there. They're going to be expensive. Um, what are our protein sources? What are we putting in there? Are we putting in uh, roasted soybeans, or which are some of your amino pluses? Are we using blood meal still, which is a, a, another protein source? So that's another product. Again, when COVID first came in, they quit slaughtering cows. All of a sudden, there wasn't as much blood meal anymore, right? So huh. now you're seeing the price. But, but that's come back, again, because they're slaughtering just as many cows. But even a place like Cargill that has a whole bunch of COVID cases, and, mm-hmm. and guys can't work for a little bit, then all of a sudden there's not as much product available, byproducts available. A good one last year was probably beet pulp. So our beet farmers last year didn't get all of their beets harvested because we had the early snowstorms. Right. So we only had about a, a third of the beet crop or, uh, harvested last year. So beet pulp was huh. in short supply, molasses was in short supply. So it, it's really a supply and demand and trying to figure out what byproducts we can use. And that's why growing your best forages is the most important thing to do. Yeah. That, yeah, I've, yeah, I found that with influencing butterfat as well, the, the most uh, cost-efficient way you can influence your butterfat is high-quality forages. And that's the most cost-efficient way to keep your cost of production down too, right? right? Because if you don't have to buy things from me, if you can grow things on the farm like high quality forages, instead of feeding 50% forage and we can get it to 55% forage or 60% forage, then that's good. One of the arguments that I have with a lot of people right now is that if they had, a, let's just say they grow their own barley and they had a really good barley crop. And when they put barley into the bin in the fall, barley was sitting at the 230 or $240, whatever we want to say it was at. They can say, well, that's what my barley's worth. Well, their barley isn't worth 230 or $240. It's worth 275 right. because if you sold your barley today, that's what you'd get paid for it. 
So you're saying that their cost of feeding actually went up. Their cost though... of feeding went up just as much as your cost of feeding went up, but they don't look at it that way yeah, I, I, because it's yeah. in their bin. But I know their barley's the var, value they should put on their barley should be yeah. the same price as what they could sell it for, because yeah. they choose to put it through a cow because that's how they're making their money. But they could just be grain farmers and sell that barley and then make more money than what they would have made in the fall. Yeah, yeah. So. That's the way I look at it anyway. I don't, right or wrong, I don't know. But. Yeah, so when you're benchmarking against other herds, cost of production, that's important to... Benchmarking, I love benchmarking. I like looking at numbers. Yeah. Numbers are my favorite thing to look at uh, when we're, we're doing that. Trust me, I, it's good. Uh, but the biggest issue that we have when we look at numbers is not everybody looks at them the same way. Right. So, so if with, you're... Especially with homegrown forages, right? Especially with anything. So... If, if you ever want to compare yourself to a neighbor, the best thing is you and the neighbor sit down and just bring it all out on the table and look at it together right. and make sure that you you know you're talking the right language. So Yeah. Well, thanks for coming back on the podcast. It's good to have you back. And uh, Yeah, this was fun, Dustin. So, uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Faraway Farm Boy podcast, episode number 16 with Bob Reck of Trow Nutrition. If you're looking for other dairy farming podcasts, check out the Bulls, Beers, and Barn Talk podcast. Join me again next week 